This is the Roaring Elephant podcast for the 9th of April of 2019. A podcast about that might do in the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Jan, and here is my still secure co-host, Dave. Hello, Jan. Hey, Dave. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. And uh, as the uh, the title of this episode may have hinted, this is the second half of the interview with Saad from Digital Fortress, talking about cybersecurity and big data and Apache Metron and collaboration and all kinds of fun stuff. And will AI and ML save us all? Of course. I guess you'll have to listen to find out. <laughs> well, without much further ado, let's uh, hand it over to you and Saad. So for, for someone that kind of listens to this and thinks that this, this sounds like exactly what, they, you know, what they've been looking for all this time, how, how would you recommend that people start this journey? So if it's a security journey, there's two aspects to it. The first one is understand the problem you're trying to solve first. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that you've gone and done an assessment and that you're investing your money in the right spot and that you've got clear use cases. I see a lot of organizations go and deploy a platform, you know, thinking I'll deploy the platform and then everything will work, but they don't have a good clear context of what are my use cases? What's my success criteria? And what am I looking to improve after I've deployed this platform? Just starting with three or four or five key success criteria, risk models, triage models, correlation, and then going from there mm-hmm. and basically having that right case for change. The second thing from a technical perspective, and this is the question I get asked a lot more often, is mm. um, less so around how do I establish a program, but there's program people that can help with that and some good advice. But how do I actually build this thing? You know, starting yeah. with understanding what telemetry sources you're going to look at. Um looking at how you build a really solid CI/CD pipeline for the parser and code deployment at that front end because you can end up with three or four or five people developing parsers, they're getting checked in and out, there's pulls from the community, there's custom parsers, there's halfway through a parser, someone will upgrade from version 8 to version 9 and now you're dealing with two different parsers. So CI/CD on your parser pipeline making sure that you have a very clear process end-to-end on how you're doing that data pipeline. So you've yeah. got to look at it as data and pipes. If you don't have that clear data pipeline, as things get thrown in, the spanners will derail your developers, they'll derail your testers, and then that moves into the security analysts and they go, well, all of this is, you know, I've used a seam that was better than this and it's all too hard. So getting really good practices around parser development, the next step that is a make or break is your data model. Um, everyone has their own data model. Uh, I've seen data models down at 12 fields. I've seen data models up to 150 fields. Um, look, at the end of the day, w- whether you use um, Elastic Common Schema, the Hortonworks framework, uh, Cladera has the data model, no doubt. Um, you know, MITRE, then there's all these, you know, CEPH, etc. I think looking at the size of your organization and the sizes of your data sets, keeping it simple 
there's the worst thing you can do is make your data model too big because then you'll find that getting data into the platform becomes an enormous challenge. So a lightweight data model, very sparse. Look, a security analyst, pretend you're a SOC analyst. All the data scientists get out of control because more data means more algorithms. But an analyst (laughs) sits down, they look at like four or five fields, right? You know, source IP, destination IP, some ports, the message text. The whole point of a big data platform is get it in fast. You can then run all sorts of smart algorithms, re-indexing, re-ingestion, profiling to break up and enrich your data once it's in there. And then you can look at different strategies around indexing, replication, um, fixing up how your data nodes are working so that you balance all of that out. Um, That's the later problem. Getting data in is the first problem. Then work into a framework. And, you know, I've always worked with MITRE. I think it's just the broadest one. Gives you the biggest attack surface. Um, print it out, stick it on my desk, and sit with the guys and go. I'm going to color a box green when you guys have done this exploit, or you can detect this type of brute force. And then it's about just ticking boxes. You know, build more profilers, more triage rules, um, more detection rules. Get the analysts providing feedback into your onboarding team, so that. They're making sure the parsers are optimal, the fields are all broken up right. And I think, you know, I'm not trying to plug Metron here, but the the ability of a security analyst to go into that sensor config and edit stuff on the fly and then see it work and then pass that on to the development team is very powerful and useful. Um, and and yeah. it's accelerated that process immensely. I think beyond that, having a realistic and pragmatic journey on your analytics. Um, Don't jump into AI trying to find the needle in a million haystacks. Start with the million needles in that first haystack. You know, there's (laughs) port scans, brute force, all that stuff to sift through because once you sift through all the the lower-level attacks, that, that reconnaissance phase, the foothold phase, then you can start moving down into lateral movement, you know, detection avoidance, um, all those kinds of advanced targeted attacks. Yeah. I mean, f- for those that aren't, aren't familiar with MITRE, it's MITRE attack, you know, attack.mitre.org. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes. I, I'm also a big fan of, of MITRE attack because it's it's one of the more open frameworks as well. And if you just go to that URL or just Google for MITRE attack matrix, you can see there's like a, a website that gives you the different categories and subtypes of, of, of things that people should be caring about. And each of those you can click on and get more information about that particular um, scenario. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the nicer frameworks to use because it's so open. So when we're talking about um, big data and, I mean, when we, whenever we talk about big data generally, one of the questions that always comes up is, who is it meant for? Do you need to be of a certain size or is it never sort of, is big data overkill for some organizations? And, you know, same, same question to you for big data and cybersecurity. Are there, 
are there some organizations that just go, oh, I, I'm, I'm so small and insignificant, no one will attack me, they'll go after all the big guys, so I don't need this. I can just you know, put some simple firewalls and, and some simple rules and a, uh, a cheap seam and I'll be fine. There is many of them. And I think <laughs> the, f- the first problem that I have with a lot of clients is getting them to recognize there's a problem, right? It's like yeah. an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting of, you know, I don't have a security problem. No one's going to hack me. And you're like, but then chances are you've already been hacked, right? Or you've already yeah. lost data and it's out there somewhere. So getting people to recognize that I do have a problem. I don't have to spend millions of dollars to fix it. I don't have to build enormous platforms to fix it. And it's taking that pragmatic staged approach of looking at risk it's all about risk, right? So start yeah. with the risks that you think matter to your business and build accordingly. And big data is just data, right? And, you know, it, we're going to get into like Uber data or ultra data down the track because everything's now connected. You know, my air condition is connected. People have near field communication in their pacemakers. Um, you know, a lot of the, the medical industry is moving to telemetry based, the mining oil and gas is all operational technology and remote telemetry, um, military, water, utilities. So all of our critical infrastructure and services, our telecommunications, everything's going to end up with this little circuit board um, that sends data out, you know, billions and billions of them. Uh, One thing that shocked me was, you know, had everyone at home ran a port scan across my home network and there was 38 devices and trying to run around and find all 38 was a challenge. Um, You know, the (laughs) vacuum cleaner was in there. So now imagine you've got an organisation and you've got air conditioning, you've got people with laptops, phones. Um, The data from all of them is enormous. So when people are looking to looking to adopt this uh, with all of that huge variety of devices that they're starting to sweat overnight about um so how many you know what what are the benefits of going for a you know a, a cybersecurity as a service based approach from a um a provider that will sort of give them a a, a service that they can just subscribe to send their data and presumably everything from that point will be fine versus doing their own on-prem-based deployment. What are some of the pros and cons for each of those? Oh, look, a a SaaS service, basically, you know, you're paying for an outcome. Um, Ideally, that's, in my mind, always going to be the best outcome because, you know, you're paying someone to fix your mess for less. And with that comes... The price tag. So quite often SaaS services can be expensive. Um, you may be in an organization where, you know, you don't fit and you need it to be customized and either that's going to cost a lot of money or it can't be done. So SaaS definitely solves a lot of problems and helps s- smaller and medium organizations get into the game. Um, cloud versus on-prem, it's, it's kind of all the same thing effectively. Um, It's just you have to have the people versus someone else having the people. I think each organisation should look at what it needs to achieve 
and the pros and cons of each because starting off maybe on-prem may get you going till you learn what you need and understand exactly what your requirements are, which better prepares you to go for the right SaaS service. Um, you know, remember the there's exit cost and it's not necessarily they charge you an exit cost. It's once you've got a petabyte of data in there, you need to migrate a petabyte of data somewhere else, cloud to cloud. <laughs> um, yep. So I think taking that really considered approach till you understand what your criteria are and then picking a solution that works. And look, a lot of people can't go SaaS because of data sovereignty problems. Um, you know, I know a lot of people that are, don't really have big data sovereignty problems, but their legal teams are putting a heap of pressure on them around, well, we can't put data in Asian data centers because then it's subject to GDPR. Or how do you fix, you know, wash that against Australia's data breach policy? Crossing borders crosses legal jurisdiction and regulatory jurisdiction, and it's 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 a nightmare. So for some companies, just deploying it themselves, if they can't get a local provider, solves the problem. Government has the scale and power to deploy themselves, and they kind of need to as well. Yep. So I think there is no one solution um, you got to pick and choose what works best for you. Yep. Yeah. The, in, in my sort of, in my opinion, from what I've seen, there's there's no there's no one right answer. Some people start on cloud. Some people start on prem. And as you say, they people just need to kind of approach it the same way that they would approach any other um, analysis of, of what's the best solution. You know, understand the situations that constrain them. Yeah. One, one tip, probably an implementation that we did a while back was around, uh, we, we took the principles of arbitrage. So we're talking to some cloud guys and they turned around and said, well, what we do is compute arbitrage. So for example, um, AWS has, you know, however many cents per compute today, um, mm -hmm. they'll run their load there, get the results back. Then if tomorrow Azure or GCP they're running a, a better deal, they'll shift their compute workloads for the extra stuff offsite. And yep. then, so what we did was security is the same thing. So we have a core set of noise that we have to deal with. So that 80% of noise port scans, the really high hitting telemetry is stuff you can clip on-prem with tools like um, NiFi, for example, um, where you take a lot of that grunt work out, you can drop a lot of those events into a local Hadoop instance and process them uh, at cheaper cost and then push the rest to a high-value SaaS service. So instead of pushing, you know, 14 terabytes a day of data, pluck the terabyte of data out of that that you know you need help analysing and expertise and push that into a SaaS service. So that hybrid model. Yeah. So, again, when we're talking about any sort of big data solution, one of the one of the questions that we always have to ask ourselves is: is this is this too complicated? And uh, you know, if it is, other what are the things that we can do to try and make this simpler, easier to understand, easier to adopt? Look, it is complicated and it's daunting, but no more than any other IT 
deployment or solution or product build that we do. So, you know, this is just another product that we're consuming internally. So getting the right governance in place, getting the right technology advice, and the most important thing is getting the right partners. So exactly. I think exactly uh, walking into this um, and from experience, people would be quite remiss if they think that we're just going to go full steam ahead from A to B, really good project managers, really good business analysts. We're going to have a red, amber, green dashboard every week and we're going to drive it hard. But you will fall over along the way. And when you fall over, it's not the technology that picks you up. It's not the project governance as such or getting into a war room. It's it's the ability to pick up the phone and call someone in the community who's brilliant at that piece of software or it's the ability to reach out to a partner and say, hey, we need help. You guys are the experts. You've given us, we're using this open source thing for free. We don't pay the license tax. So let's invest that money in support and professional services because, you know, why should we try and be the expert in Hadoop when we can pay someone who is the expert to give us one or two really brilliant people to be part of our organization and part of our journey? That's where I found success in big data deployments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more. The the ability to engage part I mean there's to be to be clear, there's nothing wrong with going out and, you know, downloading it and having a play about and seeing, you know, understanding the the framework a little bit better. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But that's very different from, as you say, just kind of plowing ahead with right. We're going to roll this into production. Um, get help. Get a, a partner that uh, that has experience in this that that you know that you trust um, because it is complicated. And anything that you can do to accelerate your journey and make your journey less painful is is going to be of benefit to everybody you know the business your sort of return on investment and everything else in between there's two aspects of that is one is around insurance so we mm-hmm. all pretty much buy insurance for things that are valuable in case they break or stop working and you know having support having a dedicated support engineer if your organization's big enough um and a professional services engineer, like that cost pays back in spades because they're in there, they understand it, you're paying for one engineer, but that one engineer picks up the phone and calls about 30 other engineers within that organization. So, you know, you you buy one and you get the might of all of them and it really pays off in dividends. The other aspect is this adversarial game needs innovation right? And if you're focusing on cybersecurity outcomes, you want to be focused on that. You want to be innovating on the business outcome you need to achieve. You don't want to be sitting down looking, how do we get HDFS to be, or how do we get Storm to, you know, process quicker? That's something that you want to pay an organization to accelerate your innovation on that software for you and that technology. So with all this in mind, um, does the, can the technology solve this issue um, or should there be additional processes and procedures to reduce the risk? And I think really what we're talking about is 
can we can we attempt to solve the the the, the people problem with you know every person at an organization is a potential you know point of compromise or point of vulnerability so yeah the the you know the insider threats the biggest problem were be it the well-meaning developer who's posting your code to try and get someone to help him uh, mm-hmm. or her or the person who's you know trying to turn off the firewall so they can connect from home to, to do their job after hours. So, um, and people always get targeted. So the issue is it's always going to change. People are going to find different ways to commit cybercrime. And I think it goes back to us working together as organisations, having the right partners, having the right people and the skills to solve the cybersecurity issue and the biggest cybersecurity issue is it's a people problem. It's about uplifting people's capability and education so that they develop better, they can pick up scams, they can avoid being taken advantage of, they practice safe practices. And then on the other end of that is it's about keeping people safe, um, securing mm-hmm. their data, securing their identity. And I think the more we educate them there, the more people understand what the problem is, then people can use technology to deliver amazing outcomes. And I think that people from an organisational sense is around having your right uh, domain leads, your right security people, your right data people, um, as well as executives that are all on that journey of how we're using technology to protect people, protect our employees, protect our customers and their data, protect our families, our children, and try and stay one step ahead of people who are trying to take advantage of all that. Yeah, absolutely. So with um, um, someone that's uh, got Metron deployed or looking at Metron um, seriously now, they can obviously take a look at that, and there's a variety of places that they can they can look, including uh, uh, what was HortonWorks, now Cloudera. Um, what's what are the next kind of big evolutionary steps that uh, that that Metron's uh, going to be taking? What are the the things that people can look forward to? Look, Metron's uh, over the past twelve months. I think the community's gotten bigger. Um, there's been some really good ground in what information's out there, what, you know, I remember a couple, two, three years back, trying to deploy Metron was a nightmare, um, just compile errors, trying to work out what the order of things were. A lot of that is really well documented now. A lot of people have invested time and effort to make it less of a barrier to entry. So the usability of Metron, the how to get, Metron up and running, that's gotten a lot better. The technology under the hood's come uh, a long way, and and it was that blending of cyber and data because, you know, originally it's a data platform, so it was looking at solving data problems. Now it's starting to evolve to solve both problems together a lot better. Look, I think I've seen a huge amount of changes in the parsing topologies. They're getting a lot smarter, a lot more efficient. There's some technology stuff happening down the track on that. Um, more simplicity in writing parses and triage rules, that's been a huge benefit. 
and mm-hmm. actually the the Cloudera merger of the two organizations actually means now there's there's more cool technology, more smart people we can throw at that Metron problem. So yep. I think the future for Metron in the next 12 months is very, very promising from a technology and a people point of view. Excellent. And so we, we sort of hinted towards the very, very beginning when you were introducing yourself um, about Digital Fortress, uh, but perhaps you know, give, give the audience a bit more information about Digital Fortress, what you do uh, and how you can help. So I guess our core business is really about providing advice and support to people and basically organisations, helping them solve their cybersecurity problems, helping them set up a successful journey, building out capability, be it platform, SOC, um, advanced functions, threat hunting, threat intel, and running very large complex cyber programs and starting that from ground up or coming in midway and helping them do a bit of a, an adjust, a reset, an assessment, and then move on. So as a result of that, we look at doing um, security assurance work, be it um, reviews around um, protective frameworks, standards like NIST, ISO, um, and CIS, uh, basically helping them understand how to quantify the problem go up and ask for money to then come back and build a platform. And then the second problem is, well, what should I build? What should I target for? How do I tune it? How do I get outcomes out of it? So a bit of that technology roadmap. And then along the way, providing smart people. Um, We partner with a lot of organisations like Cloudera where we use their software and we back their software, um, be it endpoint response, be it um, security products, that sit in the network. So our problem is basically helping, the problem we solve is helping people work out what they're going to do for the next one to two to three years to get better security at the end of that. Brilliant. Well, if that sounds like uh, something that you'd you'd be interested out there, then uh, there'll be links in the show notes to Digital Fortress and how to get in touch. But uh, Saad, it's been really, really good talking to you. Um, I always, I always enjoy uh, talking about Metron, as as Jan knows only full well. He's probably shaking his head right now. Um, but uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, look, I think um, I've gone on at length for a lot of those questions. But um, the one <laughs> key point I would add is um, cybersecurity is not a problem that one organization or one group of people or one company are going to solve. It's a problem that we all need to get together and form a community, both from a technology and a people and a partnership perspective to be better so that there isn't two guys trying to run away from that lion. There's two guys working together, dragging each other along, getting away together. Yep. And up a tree. (laughs) That's it. Although, although apparently, tree. yeah, exactly. Although apparently, lions can climb trees and and bears as well, so that doesn't work either. But maybe maybe up a uh, a lion and tree pr- uh, a lion and uh, tiger proof uh, escape hatch. Anyway, 
The uh, final thing that we ask all of our guests to do um, is uh, define Hadoop in a, a few sentences to someone who's never heard of it. I think this one's pretty simple. I see Hadoop as a collection of really cool technology backed by a whole bunch of smart people within organizations as well as within the community that are all working together to help us use data to achieve outcomes. Well, there we go. Brilliant. Well, Saad, thanks very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's been really good talking to you. And uh, all the best for Digital Fortress. And hopefully look forward to speaking to you again soon. I look forward to that. And thank you very much for your time, Dave and Jan. Much appreciated. And thank you for having no me. It was a great pleasure. Take care. Speak soon. Well, that rounds up the uh, interview with Saad. Hope you enjoyed that. I know I certainly did. Even Yon did. There we go. <laughs> Yon enjoying hearing about cybersecurity in Apache Metron. Who'd have thunk it? Well, somebody else talking about Metron than you all the time. That's always a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, really, really appreciate uh, Saad spending some time with us. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless there's anything else from you... Uh, Nope, I'm happy, I'm sated, I'm satisfied. In that case, that is all the time we have for today. Hope you enjoyed this Apache Metron bite-sized big data episode. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode, but until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag and contact us by email on podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback. Until then, my name is Dave. And my name is John. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then. Bye.